Bicycling is a really great tool, the most efficient vehicle ever made to help people make short trips. You know, a little bit longer than a walking trip, but it's, it, you know, if you make it easier for people to do that, people are going to do that. Hi, everyone. You've tuned into the Active Towns podcast, conversations about creating a culture of activity in our communities. I'm John Zimmerman, founder of the Active Towns Initiative and your host for this podcast journey. Thank you so much for joining us. It's always wonderful to have you along for the ride. Our guest on this episode, number 37 for those of you following along, is Bill Nesper, Executive Director of the League of American Bicyclists in Washington, D.C. The League is involved in so many different aspects of cycling, including bicycle safety education, helping communities become more bike-friendly, and advocating for more funding to build safe and inviting all ages and abilities infrastructure. We cover all of this and more, but before we push off, please allow me a moment to mention that this episode is being brought to you by the generous support of you. Yes, you our donors and Patreon supporters. Thank you all so very much. For those of you in a position to also help out, we have several incredibly convenient ways for you to donate. Please consider making that contribution commitment by clicking on the links provided in the show notes, or just head over to activetowns.org and click on that donate button. I really do appreciate any support you're able to provide. As a donor-backed 501c3 nonprofit, your generous contributions make it possible for me to continue creating this content. And speaking of which, let's get this episode with Bill Nesper rolling. Bill Nesper, thank you so much for joining me on the Active Towns podcast. It's such a joy to have you here. Thanks so much. It's really great to see you and or to be with you, and I appreciate you inviting me on. Yeah, absolutely. And to get us started here, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, my, a little bit about my backstory. So I, I, with biking in particular, I grew up in Florida in a small town, small beach town, and biking was like, you know, like most kids, my uh, freedom machine. And it gave me the ability to get around with my friends and, and, and do the things, you know, I wanted to do, get away from my parents and all those great things. And in some ways, you know, I, I became, I don't know, I wasn't much of a bike mechanic, but like I always, I always wanted to work, you know, tinker and fix up my brothers and my, my friends' bikes and had this really deep love of, of cycling all the way through college. I went to the University of Florida, you know, my bike got me everywhere pretty much. And when I decided to go to graduate school and I moved away from Gainesville, I moved to Arlington, Virginia. And while I did some bike advocacy back in Florida, I, I wasn't totally aware of the national movement. And I happened to move into a house with a guy that worked at the League of American Bicyclists. And while I'm starting graduate school, I needed a job. You know, crazy of me. I, I look back now. I, I didn't move to D.C. with a job. You know, just with this, uh, I'm going to go to school thing. But yeah, so I heard that there was a job at the league, you know, answering phones, doing membership work. And, and I, I said, well, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I'm going to go apply. So yeah, I got the job and, you know, I really love talking to people. I love cycling. It was a perfect fit. And that was 18 years ago 
it'll be 18 years in a, a week from now. I have a, a bachelor's in history. I was going to school for a master's in history. I was going to, the, the plan was to be a community college history teacher or a high school history teacher, teach Plato to NATO or something like that, you know, and while I finished and got my degree, I was always given really great opportunities to help this organization uh, serve its members and be more effective. And I've always been given more opportunities to to do more at the league. And I had, I had a great boss, a great set of bosses there for years and years. And for most of my time at the league, I worked, you know, I worked in membership. I was the education director for a while. And for most of the time there, I, I managed our Bicycle Friendly America program. So that is our certification programs for communities, businesses, universities, and we we rank and report on the states as well. So the Bicycle Friendly States program. So I, I, I ran that program for like 12 years at the league. Yeah. The story is that, you know, there always were new opportunities here and it is such a great group of people to work with and work for. Our members are great. Our supporters are great. And obviously, as you know, we're, we're trying to do a great thing and help transform people's lives and our country and, you know, our communities through bicycling, you know, on that road to building a bicycle friendly America for everyone. So it's, it's a great place to work. And, you know, and I've been given lots, lots of opportunities. And if you stay long enough, and uh, you do a good job, you eventually become the executive director. That's the story. I um, guess so. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and we laugh about this because the last time we saw each other in person in DC, I was uh, I was there because Laura was uh, doing, I think it was a Think Bike program with the Dutch Cycling Embassy oh, yeah. uh, in town. And I, I think you were... I think it was in the early days. Maybe you were an interim yeah. at that point. I, yeah. I don't know, but uh, we, we kind of laughed a little bit about uh, about that. If you just hang around a, a little bit, uh, you never know. They might tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you're up. So, hey, let's talk about history since you're, you're, you're a history guy. So give us the history of the league because it has a deep, deep history. Yeah, well, yeah, it's the league has a long history. Yeah, we, we were founded in 1880. I mean, originally, we were a league. So people asking, what's with the name league, you know, and we, we were founded as an organization of organizations. There were a lot of small bike clubs and growing bike clubs in the late 1800s. And, you know, as this new vehicle, you know, came on the road, many of these folks that were riding together, you know, organized under the, the banner of the Good Roads Movement, which was you know, essentially getting paved roads. Um, so, you know, we needed somewhere to ride. And, you know, I, you know, I, to, to be honest, I, I don't know the deep, deep history of like, I mean, I, you know, I, I've read a lot, but you know, there's probably a lot more, so I don't want to miss anything. I'm thinking of my historian friends who have done a lot of work on this, but the league, the league essentially for most of the 20th century was, was really a, was a, an on again, off again, big bike club, of a national bike club. So really after about 1900, it, it did kind of go into decline. Like at the turn of the century, it had hundreds of thousands of members, a giant petition that still sits in the Smithsonian Institution of, of people signing their names. I think it's 150,000 names, you know, people signing names to this giant piece of uh, paper that's on a giant wheel. You can see it in the Smithsonian. Big uh, scroll. <laughs> yeah, big, a big scroll. Exactly. Yeah, it's a big scroll. But shortly after, you know, the turn of the century, there was some decline, you know, with the advent of the automobile. And, you know, as it turns out, a lot, a lot of these people who are the leaders in this, you know, are, are really early adopters into, you know, a new technology. And so, yeah, it, it, you know, there, there was a, a giant, uh, you know, sort of uh, sh sh shrinking you know, of, of the league membership uh, shortly thereafter. 
Um, but then you, you see it coming back uh, in the 30s and in the 40s, some really great images out there, a couple of really great books that you can, you can read about this history. But, you know, you, you see um, there's periods that we've gone through where, you know, the bicycling comes back into vogue, kind of like what we're going through now. You know, there's like a, there, there's a little bit, you know, a bike boom happening, right? So, you know, there was one in the 40s. There was, you know, in the 70s is, is a well-known bike boom. And I think there's a, a mini bike boom there after the Great Recession, you know, 2007. You know, we see, we see big increases in, in ridership going in the right direction for, you know, about 10 years. Now we're seeing it go up during COVID. But yeah, the league, the league really got into much more advocacy uh, work uh, and education work in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And at this point is continuing to work for, you know, at the federal level and you know, on Capitol Hill, make sure that there's more investment so that, you know, we have safe places to ride uh, and, and good policies that keep people safe. So that's, of course, in the, the funding coming from federal government, often down to the states and then uh, to locals who are building, you know, bike lanes and trails and, and the infrastructure, as well as offering education for people to have the confidence to ride. So yeah, there's that, there's, there's that side of the work that's really been there since, since the 80s. And we continue to do that work now. And then, of course, you know, our education program, we, we run a national education program called Smart Cycling, which has been around since the 70s in, in varying forms that helps give people the confidence and the skills to ride wherever. The league is dedicated to the idea that bicycling is a right. You know, you should be able to get around by bike. People should be able to bike on roads and have access to the places they want to go by bike. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, there is a thread there of needing good places to ride. We've been saying, you know, from good roads to, you know, great streets. Um, we, we think that we should have safe streets for everyone now. And that's something we've been, and there's a thread there, really. You know, people, people should be able to ride their bikes safely to get to where they want to go. Yeah. It's almost as if there has been a bit of an evolution since your tenure. In the last 18 years, there's been a tremendous amount of change. Even in the last five years, there's been a tremendous amount of evolution and change. Heck, even since the last time you and I spoke in D.C., wasn't the last time we saw each other because we've seen each other at conferences, but there is that constant evolution of the advocacy side of things, what cities are putting on the ground. Talk a little bit about that and how you've the, the amount of change that you've seen just in your tenure. Yeah, um, that's really true. You know, I think over this time, the biggest thing I've seen, at least from my perspective, is that decision makers in uh, communities, while they're not they're not doing everything, you know, we want them to do is as as, as bi bicycle and pedestrian advocates. Two things have happened. They, you know, they've evolved in many places in, in in realizing that this is something that people want. You know, this is there's latent demand. There there is demand there, and when you build things, and when you do events, and when you educate people, people ride. You know, there's a lot there during this time. There's a lot better guidance has come out, so we have. You know, NACDO has some really great guidance, but you see also the Federal Highway Administration coming out with much better guidance over the last 10 years to give people like oftentimes the gatekeeper, you know, the person making decisions is, you know, the city engineer and engineers want to fix, you know, that you put a problem in front of them and, and, and they'll fix it. The problem, at least in the minds of many engineers, you know, and maybe still some is that, you know, how do we move vehicles safely through through towns, you know, how, how, how do we move? How do we move them safely and efficiently through places? And um, there's been an evolution of thinking and guidance and permission, really, to say, oh well, actually, you know, we can we can build things this way. And 
wow, it's a really it's a much better return on investment, not just from the transportation side. It's much less money to connect people by bike and by foot than it is connecting them to far off places uh, by car. It's where, you know, it's a much better investment. But there's also this, you know, the the things that decision makers like mayors and councils think about that. Uh, is much broad, much more broad. Like, wow, this build for bicycling and walking. You know, you have better economies. You have, obviously, you're you know more sustainable communities, healthier communities. So it, it's been, I think, the biggest thing has been that evolution and seeing seeing city decision makers, councils, going like, oh yeah, we can we can build this and giving that permission to to do it. I think it's there's a symbiotic relationship there too. Obviously we're an advocacy organization at the federal level. Most of this stuff that's, you know, most of the advocacy work that's being done to get these things built, you know, to get safe networks built is is done by local advocacy organizations. So the league, you know, we have 350 state and local member groups and they're the people on the ground who are actually demanding this stuff. They show up at meetings, they're at they're on all the planning calls, they're pushing, you know, and they're saying and, and we're trying to support them in that, you know, like through programs like the Bicycle Friendly Community Program that provides a roadmap and recognition for cities that are doing things. They're the ones showing up and demanding, working with cities too, you know, to say, hey, you know, we really to build the political will to do those things. So, you know, there's that symbiotic relationship. And, you know, like I said at the beginning, like we, we want them to do more. We also want to make it easier for, you know, again, that permission does matter a lot. We want that. We want it to be easier for them to fund those projects. Uh, we want it, you know, project delivery of bicycle and pedestrian safety infrastructure, safety projects, you know, shouldn't shouldn't be so hard. And and so we got to do whatever we can to set performance measures for DOTs and for locals, to, you know, to 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 really incentivize um, them to do this work. Yeah. And you just mentioned something there is in terms of the performance measures. And, and you mentioned earlier as well that if the task that we're giving engineers and planners is to move as many cars through a particular area as quickly as possible, well, that's a different challenge when we set it up in a different way. If we say, hey, we're trying to create people-oriented places here, and the challenge that we give to you as planners and, and engineers and, and technical folks is not to move cars quickly through space, but to safely and efficiently move more people through spaces and get people to meaningful destinations. So it's a it's a different challenge, and that's that's one of the major shifts that I've seen. Uh, and I view things th- slightly differently through the lens of a public health professional and trying to get as many people active and moving as possible. And so I look at the built environment through the lens of how will this encourage more people to get off their couches and potentially leave their cars behind and lead a more active lifestyle. Now, one of the taglines that that you all have is life is better for everyone when more people ride bikes which I absolutely love. Talk a little bit more about what that means when you say life is better for everyone. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. So and I think it ties into what you just said, right? It's that realization that bicycling is part of the good life. That's really, I don't know, not to, here goes my history, you know, not to get too into the, you know, the police, you know, like what the city, like what is the city supposed to do? The city is supposed to like help people live the good life, right? 
And so it is kind of an ancient understanding of like, you know, like what are streets for, right? And what can we do to help people live a good life, a good healthy life, uh, um, contribute to you know a sustainable community, all these things. And I think of like the, I think there's a book called Happy, like the Happy City out there. Um, By Charles Montgomery, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think I, I think what happens is um, is that shift that we were just talking about and thinking of that we've at least been able to make in some places. We can, you know, we can, we can, we still have work to do, but that bicycling is a really great tool, the most efficient vehicle ever made to help people make short trips, you know, a little bit longer than a walking trip, but it's, it, you know, if you make it easier for people to do that, people are going to do that and they're going to shop in their local area and they are going to, you know, have uh, like you said, like making a, a more active life. We know that when you make bicycling and walking an easy choice, right, like a real option, you know, people are going to do it. Uh, at least that that's what, you know, the data shows, like in, in the places that have done these things. So when we say that, like, when more people ride bikes, life is better for everyone, what we're saying is that, you know, it's, we have to think about, like, if we're going to be effective in as bike advocates, we have to realize that lots of people that are, that we want to be pushing for this don't self-identify as bicyclists, right? And so it's, I think it's somewhat disarming to be thinking about, solutions that are good for everybody, for the common good, for the good life. Bicycling is part of that. It's part of the things that we as a community want to have. So that that's that is really our vision. So that bicycling is part of the solution for everyone, not just self-identified bicyclists who, you know, um, we're doing this, of course, for for those that call themselves bicyclists, but also for people uh, that might never call themselves bicyclists and, and for the people who are going to get on a bike tomorrow, right? That's why we do this work. So we wanted to focus it more broadly. You know, we do this for everyone and not just for ourselves. Yeah. And it kind of reinforces the concept of that when we say life is better for everyone, when more people ride bikes, it's like, this is a more people oriented place. And if we, and, and, and some places have really started to achieve this and, and to give an example, the, the Netherlands, which is one of my favorite examples to turn to, they are the country with the highest motor vehicle driver satisfaction rate. <laughs> and, and it's yeah. just like, well, what? Well, it's because they have well-designed systems and they have a balanced modal share in terms of the number of people walking and using transit, the number of people using cycles and the number of people driving. And so it's a better experience for everyone. And I think that that's an important thing to reinforce is that it's not about the bike. And in fact, let's talk a little bit about the fact that it, it really isn't about the bike. It's about creating people-oriented places, cities and towns and villages that can prosper and survive and thrive and are healthy, both economically and healthy from a physical health and mental health perspective. And so much has changed. I mean, all of a sudden, we're, we're now talking not just about bikes, but we're talking about electric assist devices. We're talking about micromobility. The, the tent that is the, the, the bike lane, you know, the protected bike infrastructure is now like, oh, yeah, this is the protected all ages and abilities mobility lane. Talk a little bit about that, because that's a huge shift that happened just in the last five years. 
Yeah, I just I, I do want to go back just for a second, just to the the idea that it's good for everyone, right? I think it's a really good point about when we're talking, you know, if we want to be effective, we have to like we can be against car centered design and yet still share the benefits that this is going to, you know, for people that are driving their cars, you know, that this is going to be good for them too. And that's a really effective way to do this. I think, I think, yeah, there has been a shift in obviously in mobility over the last few years. I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge thing that's happening. A lot of light mobility, you know, like small uh, vehicle scooters and, you know, whatever the next version of that is going to be, you know, we're going to see low speed vehicles, light, low speed vehicles operating, especially in more dense urban environments that complement walking trips and are often adjacent to like biking trips. And I think the scooters in you know, particular, I mean, it's a huge amount of people riding scooters. It's bigger than bike share last year. You know, I, I, and I think the year before, I mean, it's, it's a ton of people. And one of the interesting things about the data is that a lot of these folks have never used the, the bike share system. So in the studies I've seen, you know, people that are riding these haven't used the bike share system. So I, I see a huge opportunity to, to get people biking too, you know, like, and, and also we have a, we have shared advocates for rebalancing streets. So we want to have more space allocated for pedestrians to walk comfortably, safely for people on bikes, for people on micro mobility to walk and, and travel safely and comfortably and, and making those destinations easily accessible. I do have to say though, like you say, it's not about the bike and I, it is totally not about the bike, uh, you know, but being a bicycle organization, you know, I, I have to, you know, I have to say it's, I'm we're a little bit more both. And I think in some ways, you know, because I mean, being a biking organization with a very long history, we also just love the joy of bicycling too, you know, and the beauty of bicycling. And, and so uh, a lot of the folks who are part of our community and support this work that is, very broad in the benefits, you know, many of them are self-identified cyclists. And like, you know, like I love looking at bikes and I love tinkering with things and I love putting on my new handlebars and I love beautiful lugging and I love all those things. And I love long rides and, and a lot of our members do too. And I think for us, it's both, you know, it's, it's both roadies who want to go on long roads and they don't want to have horrible rumble strips, you know, out and, you know, out in rural areas. And it's people that get together and do recreational riding. It's also, you know, people who are doing more like me, you know, doing more utilitarian trips, you know, riding with my kids to the playground, riding with, you know, riding in the post office. I mean, that's what, that's my, that's my favorite daily loop. Now I get to ride over to FedEx in the post office. I get a little like three mile loop in, break up my day. So I think it's, you know, it's both. Right. And we can be for the joy and the love and the beauty of bicycling and also be for a transportation system that's better for everybody, including people who, you know, might not think of themselves as bicyclists, but bike, you know. So anyway, so I, I just thought I have to say that just I think it's important to, to note that identity still like within our organization. I mean, we still are a bicycling organization that can that can both bike and walk and think about transit and think about all the other things that our cities and, and communities should have. But, you know, we love bikes. It's an all-encompassing wide tent. It includes many different tribes that are underneath this tent. Like you said, you know, you've got your your dedicated recreational cyclists that are members of the league. You've got your dedicated transportation cyclists that are members of the league. You have passionate adult tricycle riders who are members of the league. It, there's a lot of different people. Talk a little bit about that because it is a broad tent and there's all of these different tribes and different factions and all of that all underneath the broad shoulders of the League of American Bicyclists. Yeah, well, that's and that's true. And, I, you know, I, it makes me really happy 
to hear you describe it that way because I think, you know, we want to be representative of the country and, you know, we, yes, there are different groups and identities underneath bicycling broad, more broadly. The league is, I like to say, you know, we're still an organization of organizations and individual advocates that are in, and educators that are, that are really change makers in their communities. At the very least, we want people to be, you know, on our mailing list, right? So that we can say, hey, we really need you to act on this thing that's really important to get this or that funding or this policy put through. And it's going to take all of us to do that. And this goes for not being um, very representative racially, I think, over over time, too. I think there's an important thing with the league. You know, ha, ha, you know, it's a very we're a very white organization, very self-selecting group, you know, like that, you know, identify as cyclists and what, what the league, what, what it meant to be a league member previously. You know, over the years, though, we've seen like growth in in better representation with, you know, women, people of color that are members. It's going to take all of us to change our communities, like to help transform people's lives. Our LCIs, you're an LCI. Thanks for being an LCI. It's one of the greatest places we can we can help people make change in their community. That means we have to ha- make sure that every community is being represented too. So we've, you know, we've put some real effort into making sure that we're reducing the barriers to becoming a league cycling instructor. You know, with that program, we ensure that we ensure uh, our instructors, we, we give them a curriculum, you know, that's really flexible that they can use to, to teach people how to ride everything from learn to ride all the way, all the way down. If we're going to help remove those barriers to people riding bikes, a lot of its infrastructure and, 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 and reducing speeding and all these other things that we've been doing or pushing for, I should say. But it's, you know, there's this confidence and skill building part of biking uh, that is really needed. We, we don't have the perfect bicycling networks anywhere in the United States. And, you know, we can look to the Netherlands, uh, for example, we can look to other places, you know, as well. But, you know, bicycling education is part of this and, 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 and being more representative in that set of people so that we're, you know, that we have, we now have LCIs that, that teach in multiple languages, it, but it's a work in progress, right? And so to be an advocate, same thing, you know, there are people all around the country that have, they're, they're lucky enough to have a really good local advocacy organization uh, where, you know, that's reaching every neighborhood and where they can speak together with one voice for these things that we're talking about. But there's a lot of places that don't have those. And we, and we want to do whatever we can to provide tools. And again, get if you if you think of your, if you think bicycling is important, you know I think we can make the case that it is for all those things we just talked about. We want you to be part of this organization, and we want to give you, you know, the resources at the very least, answering action alerts all the way up to you know teaching people how to ride and showing up at meetings and and, and being more effective as an advocate. So yeah, I'm I'm glad you think it is, you know, more. It definitely is getting there, but you know we have a lot of work to do. When we return, Bill talks about the multifaceted bicycle-friendly program, addresses some of the biggest challenges communities face, and identifies road safety as a critical area of focus for the United States. But before we roll into those discussions, I have one quick request. If you're enjoying the Active Towns podcast, please be sure to subscribe to and rate it on the listening platform of your choice. Thanks. Believe it or not, that really does help. Okay, that's all for this very short break. Let's get back to our conversation with Bill Nesper. You talked about reducing the barriers. So let's talk a little bit more about 
the Bicycle Friendly programs. You spent 12 years working under that umbrella of the organization. It's one of my favorite initiatives and there's multiple facets to it. So why don't you walk us through that? Yeah, sure. Thanks. So, you know, a lot of the league's work is is at that sort of federal level, you know, doing the getting funding and making sure that there's money to build things. Like thankfully, we know how like we now have the guidance and we know how to build things right. There's still not enough money. So I just have to make that make that really clear that there's a lot of guidance out there on how to build things and there needs to be more dedicated funding to this. Bicyclists, pedestrians and people on motorcycles represent about a third, more than a third of fatalities on our streets right now. I mean, of the 40,000 people that are dying on our streets every year, uh, nearly 40,000, that, that's a, you know, a third of these folks are not inside vehicles. You know, and of the safety funding, you know, we're getting about 1%. So it's it's really doesn't match. Uh, we, we need to keep pushing at the national level so that the people who, you know, on the ground really do want to build these things can do it. So the, the bicycle-friendly programs are really the, the, the place where the league is supporting uh, folks at the local level to transforming their communities and their businesses and universities. So the, um, each of the programs, so the bicycle-friendly community, business, and university programs are all based around an application that folks fill out. It's opt-in, and you fill out an application, and that in itself is really a part of the beauty of this program in that it, it provides a platform for collaboration. So in order to fill out an application, if you're at a city, you know, like you can't, you don't know, I mean, it's, there's a lot of questions and you don't know all the answers. So you have to go around and like work interdepartmentally. You actually have to work with community. You have to figure out, you know, you have to put together a committee to actually put together this application. And, and in doing so, you get a team and, and then we give you feedback. So we, if you're, if we recognize communities and businesses and universities from bronze through platinum. We did add a diamond level. Nobody's gotten that yet. We had to set a higher goal for those, our friends at the platinum level. The feedback loop is, you know, folks are working on this. The league is, you know, recommending things. Local advocates are recommending things. You know, they're doing the work. Every four years, we ask for a renewal. And communities right now, they're, you know, almost 500 communities from bronze through platinum. You know, our goal is engaging more. You know, we worked with over almost a thousand communities directly with the program. You know, there's over, uh, I believe, over 1,300 uh, businesses now that are bicycle-friendly businesses. Same idea. You're trying to, you know, help that businesses be better at welcoming um, not just people that work there, but also uh, visitors and customers as well. And we have large businesses from Target all the way down to local mom and pop shops, uh, bike shops, and hospital systems. So it's it's a really good program. Yeah. So the the idea here is it's a tool for transformation that that locals are then using. And the same thing with universities, you know, we, we think it's important that people, you know, oftentimes the university is thought of as like that, you know, at least in my experience, it's, it's been the best biking experience that, that I've had on a regular basis in my life. And, and that's nothing against Arlington, Virginia and Washington, D.C., where I am a lot, but where I lived in Gainesville, Florida was very easy to bike. And, but we, but we, we think everybody that goes to the university should have a great experience and be expecting something when they move to a new city, you know, like, hey, I used to be able to bike here. You know, when I was in you know school, like why can't I bike in my town now, like that kind of thing. So, yeah, those programs are 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 designed to meet people where they are and to and to help help you get a win. Now, that doesn't mean we give you we give away awards, but you know everybody needs a win. And so, there's a lot of thing on the a lot of things on the application that are steps in the right direction. And then there are priorities. You know, we we think looking at key outcomes like ridership and safety are of the utmost importance. 
But you know, there are things that we're trying to recommend that, that, that communities and businesses and universities can do. The states program is a little different. We rate and, and rank the states every two years. So we use uh, a mixture of of publicly ava- available data and data that we ask for from from state state DOTs on on what they're doing um, to 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 make um, bicycling safe and comfortable and accessible. Great. So yeah. yeah, I love the programs. They're very very successful. But hopefully, we can do more to 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 drive more change. You know. Yeah, and I think one of the neat things about the program is that it taps into the human nature of competition and wanting to improve and wanting to see themselves on a list of acknowledging the hard work that uh, a city, a university, a business is is going through. But at the same time, to your point, also getting some feedback on how they can improve and, and how they can strive to do it. Something came across uh, the the email the other day of the the various locations that had the highest number of bicycle friendly businesses, and I was shocked at the lack of number here in Austin. And so it's it, it might be something that you know we at you know at the local advocacy level bringing that awareness to the businesses because there's plenty of businesses that are very bicycle friendly, like they're advocating with the city to, to put a bicycle corral in front of their business because they see that value, but they may not know that they could go through the application process to be acknowledged and recognized as a leading American bicyclist, bicycle friendly business. Yeah, there's, you know, some, some, some locals haven't I mean, really, this is driven by by local advocacy groups, like you said. So you see Fort Collins or Tampa, Florida. Like, there's there's some real stars out there. Um, most recently, Northwest Arkansas. There's a lot of new bicycle friendly business there because they see it as a tool for changing the culture, right? How do you get more people interested in bike advocacy? Like back to the first thing we were talking about. Like you make it not hard to be a bike advocate. Like you don't have to, you know, you don't have to put on certain clothes, and you don't have to ride 100 miles, and you don't have to do all these things to be a bicycling advocate. Like you can rarely get on a bike and be a bicycling advocate. Maybe not at all. You can still be four bikes, right? So the business program actually helps, you know, bring those business voices into that, into that, in, into that discussion. And as you say, you know, um, if, if, if it seems advantageous to Austin to do that, there are definitely models out there to, to use the program towards that end. So are we up to four cities at the platinum level or is there five? There are five. Okay. Yeah, there are five. So there's yeah. uh, Boulder, Fort Collins, Davis, Portland. Madison. Madison. Yes, that's right. Madison. Now to get to Diamond, they have to hit some pretty significant ridership levels. Is that correct? Or you really shift yeah. away from just looking at the environment and you're starting to look really deeply at data and, and ridership levels. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. So we, you know, we, we do that throughout the other levels. So, I mean, really you can get a bronze award by doing something in the six, you know, the six E's, you know, but like to, to, to really move up the, you know, silver gold, you know, we start looking more at those outcomes, like outcome based, right? So you, you can do a lot of things and you're not getting the outcomes. Like when we need to figure, figure it out and like, Hey, we're here to help diamond. It was really designed by the platinum level communities that came together and said, Hey, this is a valuable program for us. We still want to like shoot for higher targets and we engaged them and said, well, 
what does that look like? And, and we went back and forth, honestly, like, how do we do this? And it, and it, and it, and it does look a lot more like, you know, a standard or a pretty like, let's say mid table European city, you know, the metrics, right? So it's like more like 15% ridership that's bike to work. And that's, you know, right now, currently in most of the, the platinums that's in the, that's in the five to 10 range. So Davis though, I mean, there's like 20%. So, I mean, they're, they're there on, uh, on that, but yeah, there's a lot of, a lot more, it's, it's a, it's a short, shorter amount of metrics, you know, that's, it's not as long of an application really. The other, the other component to it is also like what they do in Copenhagen, like with their bicycle account um, is uh, measuring satisfaction. So like, you know, rider satisfaction. So you do, you do one of the components is that you have to do, you know, a statistically valid survey uh, of your citizens and, and ask them, you know, how they feel about X, Y, and Z things. So we have like sample questions that you would use. We work with the city of Copenhagen years ago to like come up with that and use really a lot of their metrics for that. So yeah, the diamond sets a higher bar and, 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 you know, we, again, it might be too, it might be unobtainium. Some people have said, you know, it's like, kind of like, it's like this level that, you know, Oh, we're never going to get. And I, you know, you don't want that to happen. That's the other, that's the other end of this sort of like, I don't know, our theory of change. Right. So our, our, our business model, let's say it's like the, the rest of the program works because like, there's like steady growth, but there's a pretty big gap between platinum and diamond. So, um, yeah, well, we want to do whatever we can to like to, to push people along, you know, and of course, when you're at that level, it's really not about the award. I mean, it is nice for decision makers to get, you know, to, you know, mayors and, and whatnot to get to get recognition. I, I think uh, it's it's we know that this really isn't about the award. It really is about, as you said, it's recognition. You know, there's a lot of people behind the scenes. You know, the mayor gets a sign and, the, you know, we get to shake hands and take pictures and do all that stuff and recognize them for their good leadership. And the council and, and, and all of them as well. But the program really is effective, I think, because it, it, it recognizes all the people that are doing this all the time, right? Showing up at meetings at weird hours, like, you know, oh my gosh, there's three more meetings about this. I mean, these people do this work and they and 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 they are pushing hard again back for that that common good, uh, you know, making their towns more bike friendly. And, and and this is this is really for them too. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and getting back to human behavior and reducing barriers, one of the things that we have really learned a lot in this movement to try to get more people to ride more often is we need to make it truly authentically safe and inviting for them. And so that's changed a lot over the years. And so that kind of increases the bar, you know, in, in terms of, you know, Hey, it, it's if you're really going to have a significant impact on ridership levels, you need to truly make it an all ages and abilities environment. So with that sort of in mind, what's what are the most difficult things that communities face in trying to do that? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I think one of the, the best things about the program, you know, the bicycle friendly program has been that there have been models out there to follow. Right. And so the other and models that you can see yourself in and it, and it worked to, to a certain degree when you have like Portland and Davis and, and, and Boulder and others like, you know, I, I think in the East, you get kind of an eye roll from from a lot of from a lot of well, we're not like them when you're somewhere and they, you know, you bring up somewhere in Europe and they say, Oh, you know, we're not like them or like, we're not like Bogota. We can't do Ciclovia. You know, that's like, that's crazy. I think having 
legible models, you know, things are where you see yourself in your community can see like, a, you know, something that is like you like to like. And, and so I'm excited by Austin, right? So, I mean, you're, you're there, they're doing this work, you know, differently. They're building like a network. It's, it's really a, a network approach to the whole thing. You know, it's, it's not just project-based, right? I mean, there's projects within this, but the, but the larger project is building this network out, you know, as you say, all ages and abilities and that reduces traffic stress. I think, you know, having Austin do this is going to, is going to spur on other communities that see themselves as aspiring to be or competing with in a, in a good way, but competing with Austin, you know, for, you know, uh, people visiting and moving there and all those other things. So I, I think it's going to take that. It's also going to take the, like I said, the, the you know, it's the money and, 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 and then cutting some of the, I want to say cutting some of the red tape, but, but making it easier for locals who have local knowledge. And as I say, good guidance to build things now and a different problem, you know, that they have to solve. Like if the city says, Hey, we want to move people around uh, to places they want to go in our town. It's, it's different than, you know, this other challenge that the engineers have building the understanding and the sort of the models of like, this is possible. And then having the funding mechanism and the lack of an easier ability for people to turn these projects into actual networks and to turn this money into actual programs that reach people in their communities, I think is the biggest challenge. Like we know what to build. It's like, we got to, we got to build the political will and give them clear, clear ways to build these things. Okay. So here we are 2020. We've had huge momentum going into 2020 with lots of communities that are making big strides. And you mentioned Austin. Over the past 10 years, Austin has continued to, to, you know, incrementally get better and better and better. But then along comes a pandemic. What has surprised you the most about what has transpired in, in 2020? Wow. Um, I'll stick to bicycling and walking and active transportation. Uh, what has surprised me the most... I, I guess I was actually surprised by how many people were biking. It, it was such a pleasant surprise. You know, it's, I'd say that it, it's not the same in every community, but where I happen to live, you know, and, and where I think a lot of, a lot of folks that had office jobs, like they could telework, that's like my neighborhood pretty much mostly. And others like, you know, um, you know, you're seeing a huge growth in, in, in riding, you know, during this time, you know, I think some, some cities have seen, you know, three times as many people riding on their trails. You've seen, our friends at EcoCounter have shown that like there's a 20% increase in ridership. So that's both essential workers getting to work, you know, to the jobs of the, you know, the, the, the people who aren't teleworking. Um, but it's also the, the folks that are just getting out and going for short trips or recreational rides. I'm surprised at the level, honestly. And I think one of the things that, yeah, I, I guess pleasantly surprised by, it's funny, like being like bike advocate guy in your neighborhood, you know, for years and years. And, you know, there's a few of us, you know, I, I live in a pretty dense inner, inner suburb of DC. So, you know, there's good transit, there's good, there's good bike facilities that, you know, it's, it's my ride, it's like eight miles in, but you know, the eight miles is a long way for people. So this is one of these things within the pandemic that, you know, I think might be, I don't know, this easily overlooked is that, now, the average American, their commute to work is like 12 miles. So if if you're somebody that isn't going into the office or having to go into work as much anymore, you know, that longest trip of the day is no more. 
also all of the sports leagues and all the other sort of ways to like be active have been shut down. So I, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised by how many people are riding. I've also been surprised that like, just like I was going to say in my neighborhood, you know, there's a few of us that ride. We've become like the local bike mechanic. I mean, there's, there's a really great shop about half a mile away, but like, you know, people are asking me questions all the time. Some shops are out of like parts. So I like have some extra tubes. I'm like, you know, teaching people how to patch, you know, patch tubes. You what? You patch tubes? Like, excuse me? That's a, that's a thing? I'm like, let me show you. Something. Well, you Get said ready. it earlier too, Bill. You said, you know, we're in the midst of a bike boom. In some in some communities and some shops, like you said, they can't get parts, they can't get bikes, they're completely sold out. I know our local shop here just down the road, they're like three weeks out in terms of being able to turn a bike around for, for major repairs. So yeah, absolutely. I'm not surprised that folks are uh, tapping into your expertise and, and all of that. And I hear that through, I mean, all of, I'm sure you're hearing that, like, and it's happening to you too. I mean, I don't know, maybe Austin is, there's more of you, but I, I, I've, I'm hearing that from a lot of friends, you know, like just people are asking questions about biking and yeah, and it's not just recreation. So I said, you know, that, that work trip is longer, right? So we know that like more than half of our trips, like that we make all the time are, are like three miles or less. So knowing that, and you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that people in this time, essential workers, people that are teleworking, all of us are being able to experience bicycling and, 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 and seeing that, oh, wow, I can do this. I can ride over there. I can get there. That That's actually not that far. You know, like two miles on a bike is not far. And so I'm hopeful that, you know, that we can experience that. But also, I think this is an opportunity that we have, we have some really serious challenges in our country. You know, obviously there's, there's uh, racial equity, you know, challenges that we're, that we're facing um, and have faced and are coming to, coming to, coming to terms with, you know, like really. And I think waking up to many, many folks are, but also I think it's climate change is looming as well and the health crisis that continues. So, you know, I think, I think as we get out there on bikes and experience it and get more people experiencing that and that it doesn't have to be this sort of special thing where you, you know, do a 50 mile ride or whatever. It can just be riding to this or that place that you can integrate it into your life uh, uh, and that you can, when the time comes, speak up for it and, and say, hey, yeah, actually, I want to do this more. And I think people should be able to do this and, and they should be able to do it safely. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any final points that uh, we haven't covered yet that you'd like to bring up? One of the things that we're working on that we think is really important is for the U.S. to be a leader in safety again. And, you know, I, I mean, we talked a little bit about funding and, and the way that, you know, bicycling infrastructure and bicycling programming happens. I think it's also important, you know, as in our work as bike advocates to uh, be demanding that, you know, while our cars are becoming much safer for, for the people in them, that they're safer for the people outside of them as well. And there's all kinds of technologies now that are really exciting, you know, short of the full automated vehicle stuff. So the league is, the league is definitely in that conversation about making sure that automated vehicles see cyclists and pedestrians and, and, and that they can react to them. And, and, and we are going to continue to advocate for those things. But there's things right now that we could be doing as a country to make people safer. So automatic emergency braking is required in all new vehicles in the EU. That's an example of something that we don't have here in the United States. So that means, you know, that the, there's technology that exists today that, you know, will, will make your car stop and not hit somebody. And some of the best cars have that, you know, um, there are cars out there that, 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 that have this in the United States, but it's not something that we are 
demanding uh, of manufacturers, and it's something that we should do. And so that's something that the league is, you know, think it, thinks is important. And there, and there are other things that uh, out there, like you know, that are technological solutions that you know we should be pushing for uh, as bicycling advocates. Yeah, and you know, one of my favorites is actually an initiative uh, started by a friend of mine in Boulder, uh, Trini Willerton, with the "It Could Be Me" movement, and really doing what she can, and with the whole movement going spreading across the country of trying to rehumanize that experience and being able to say, "Hey, look, you know, that person who is out there." on the bike or running or a pedestrian or a person in a wheelchair, a more vulnerable user of our public realm, our public space, our streets, our roads, et cetera. That's a person, you know, that's a mom, that's a dad, that's a, that's a sister, that's a dog. You know, it, it's, it's rehumanizing that experience. So I do encourage everyone, uh, go back and listen to one of my early podcasts. It was Trini Willerton talking all about the It Could Be Me program uh, and you know, trying to get to the, that point of understanding that, hey, we're all, we're all drivers at some level, the majority of us. You know, maybe some of us never drive, but the majority of us do drive at some point in time. And we, we want to understand that there's a huge responsibility every time we get behind the wheel. And there's a lot of folks out there that are incredibly vulnerable. And a big shout out to the Vision Zero movement and really trying to strive towards decreasing and eliminating serious injuries and fatalities. So I think it's all part of what you're, you're talking about of that layer of we should be creating environments which are safe and inviting for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, speed, <laughs> speeding cars, like, I mean, if we really look at where the, the least attractive places to ride and the most dangerous places to ride are you know, multi-lane, high-speed arterial streets. So, you know, there, there's more that can be done in design and on the technology side with the vehicle. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, speed kills. I mean, it, it, it just absolutely does. And, you know, there's a, there's a place for motor vehicles to go fast and most certainly not in our residential areas. That's not in our urban cores. That is incompatible with creating a safe and inviting all ages and abilities environment. And oh, by the way, if it is a commercial environment, it is your downtown. That's also not compatible with a vibrant economy. Yeah. Speeding cars past all the shops and all the things that you want to, you know, have people do. Yeah. So my final question for you is this. What advice do you have for individuals that want to make a difference in their communities? Um, so... Thanks. That's a great question. That is like, you know, the most important one, maybe, you know, to help, again, connect where people are. So, you know, I would encourage folks to um, go to bikely.org and and, and see, you know, sign up for our e-newsletter. We, at the very least, want to keep you informed of what's, you know, what's happening, as I said, like the federal level and with local initiatives that might be important, that might be important to you. I think, you know, at the very least do that, but check out our programs. I think that if you want to make steps to being a bicycling advocate, you know, you can use the bicycle friendly programs to transform your workplace, to encourage your community to become better. And then beyond that, like if if you do want to be an educator, you know, there's a way for you to, to at the very least, you know, share some videos with people, you know, that we have on our website that, you know, to give people the, you know, the skills and the competence to ride. But 
you know, maybe you want to be a league cycling instructor. You can do that. So we want to we want to be a resource to help you be more effective at transforming lives and your community through bicycling. So, uh, yeah, bikeleague.org, I would say, is, is definitely a great first step. Fantastic. Hey, what's the best way for folks to connect with you, connect with the league? You mentioned the website right there. I'll include that link in the show notes here, but other places where it's good for folks to connect with you out on the interwebs. Yeah, well, I mean, I I think, you know, obviously the website is a really good one. We put on the National Bike Summit every year in March. And so be on the lookout for that. You know, maybe that's that's a great place to connect with with advocates, uh, bicycling advocates and educators from around the country uh, every year. And yeah, all of our contact information is on is is on the site too. So you know, reach out if we can be of service to to your advocacy uh, at the local level. Fantastic, Bill. Hey, it's been such a pleasure catching up. I look forward to having you back because there's lots of stuff that we didn't cover, including uh, cargo bike uh, logistics, diving more into electric assist, and all that kind of stuff. There's so much good stuff. There's so many really awesome things that are happening in the world right now in terms of making more bicycle-friendly communities. Thank you so much for joining me on the Active Towns podcast. Thank you very much. Looking forward to the next time. Thank you all so very much for listening. I hope you all enjoyed this discussion with Bill Nesper and perhaps learned something new about the League of American Bicyclists. I've been a proud member and bicycle safety instructor for years and encourage you all to check them out at bikeleague.org. As always, for your convenience, I have this and plenty more helpful links in the show notes. And finally, before we part ways, just a quick reminder to drop me a line if you have any suggested topics or guests. It's always so wonderful to hear from y'all. My email is john, that's J-O-H-N, at activetowns, that's plural, O-R-G. And as always, if you're enjoying the Active Towns podcast, please help us grow our audience by telling a friend or two. Okay, that's all for episode number 37. Thanks once again for listening. Please take care of yourselves and one another. And until next time, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers.